This is Adam Hill, the minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ. I always tell our church family, read your Bible. You'll be a better Christian. My prayer is that this Bible-based sermon will help you follow Christ more faithfully. Let's learn together as we study the Word today. As we read the Word of God together, I'm going to start in John chapter 11, the first three verses. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who had poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, thank you for listening when we call out, for caring so much for us. Father, give us wisdom, give us patience, give us comfort knowing in your presence that our plans are not always your plans, that your ways are not always our ways, and help us to trust you still. We love you. Speak, Father, for your children are listening. Amen. You may be seated. Hope you're having a wonderful day. And I'm going to ask you to do something I don't normally ask you to do, something some of you are a little too good at. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. See, I see everything from the state. Y'all don't realize I can see what's happening. No, um, no, I, I, want, I do want to ask you, though, I want you to close your eyes for a moment because I have something I want, I want, I want to try. I want to ask you, <clears throat> if you will, picture Jesus. All right, in your mind, with your imagination, picture Jesus. <clears throat> okay, now open your eyes, everyone. No, um, just, okay. What was Jesus doing in your imagination? When you pictured Jesus, tell me about it. What did you see Jesus doing? Does someone want to go first? All right, Jermaine, what do we got? Okay, staring off into the distance as Jesus is wont to do. Just nebulously a thousand feet that way. Jermaine, what did you have? He was on the cross. Okay, he's, he's, he's dying for us on the cross. Absolutely. Anyone else? What else do we have? Jackson, you feel strong enough to tell me? He's just standing there. Right, yes. I've got Jesus and Jesus stands there. That's what he does. He's looking back at you. Very nice. There's a little relationality there. Okay. Okay, one more, one more, one more. What do we got, King? 
He was reaching out to you. Very good. Okay, here's what I've found. Because I've gotten to do this, uh, and I don't ask you all to do things that I don't, I, I'm not planning on doing, but I just try to imagine when I say Jesus, what am I seeing? Here's what I've found out. Oftentimes when I picture Jesus, I picture Jesus alone. I picture Jesus somewhere by himself, maybe, maybe even aloof, that thousand meter stare just out into the void or whatever. Yeah, he, there's Jesus and he's standing there. That's what he's doing. The Jesus in our imagination may occasionally float into social situations with real people, but only long enough to do something amazing and remind us he's not real people. And then we kind of let him recede. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus that we see in our Bibles spends a lot of time eating meals with people at tables that are full. And he's eating dinners in people's homes In fact, when Jesus talks about the opposition that he faces, the critics that come and talk about him, he says, you know, when John the Baptist came, y'all said he was a square because he didn't eat or drink anything. But now I come eating and drinking and you say I'm a glutton and a drunkard. All right, I know, I've read my Bible too. I know Jesus sometimes, as was his custom, would go into the quiet places and spend some time alone. I get that. But apparently, he spent enough time at social gatherings and in people's houses and around tables for the main criticism coming his way to be that he spent too much time eating and drinking. Did you catch that? That they're saying he's too socially engaged. Jesus apparently liked a social gathering. He liked hanging out with people. He had real friends. All right? And maybe, maybe, you know, maybe the greatest miracle that no one ever talks about is that he had 12 really close friends in his 30s. All right? That's tough to do. All right? Like he was, he was pulling it off. Okay? Jesus spent time with people. And the story in John 11 happens to be about some of his closest friends. Mary and Martha and their brother, Lazarus. Lazarus was very sick. This is not a minor ailment. The situation was nearing hopelessness if it hadn't already reached it. And the sisters, Jesus is somewhere outside Jerusalem in the countryside. And so the sisters send a message to Jesus. They want him to know about the bad news regarding their brother. Because Mary and Martha have seen Jesus do the spectacular. They have seen Jesus do the supernatural. They told Jesus what was going on when when their brother was sick because they thought if Jesus knew, then Jesus would make it better. If Jesus knew, Jesus would make it better. Their brother's situation would be resolved. Here's the issue. Miracles can be really tricky things. First off, for starters... 
we need to remember they're called miracles, not ordinaries. They don't happen very often. I know. I know that when we read our Bible, we read those pages, those 1,000, 1,500 pages, and we flip through, and it seems like almost every other page, we're talking about a miracle. And we're like, this is great stuff. Okay, but think about how much history is covered in those 1,000 pages. I mean, if we just take the years that we can measure, we've got about 1,500 to 2,000 years of human history in those 1,000 pages, and that's the number of miracles we have. We have Jesus performing 37 Now, what we find out if we look closer, and I'm going to oversimplify a little bit, is that the miracles kind of come in bunches. So, God creates, and after creation, there's this thing where Adam and Eve kind of fall in sin, and God still works through that, calls Abram, right? They have a miraculous child, but... We don't see a ton of miracles until we get to the children of Israel being oppressed by the Egyptians. And then we get this thing called the Exodus, where God does wonders. And then once they're free, once again, we kind of go into this period where there's not a lot miraculous going on. I know there are some judges who do some pretty amazing things by the power of the Spirit. And then there's this period of the kings, and they're pretty bad. But about 450 to 550 years after the Exodus, we get the age of the prophets Elijah and Elisha. And there are a ton of miracles being done right then. And then after Elijah and Elisha, they go into exile. And then we go through this 800-year drought until we get Jesus. And then we get the 37 miracles performed by Jesus. And the early church does these miraculous things. And then after that... Even the, even the written record of the early church in the 2nd, 3rd, 4th century was saying, this is ordinary time. Okay, even though they seem to be happening a lot, the truth is they don't happen all the time. That miracles are this, are this, are this rare thing. They are not ordinary, they're extraordinary. Miracles can't be expected because they're not the norm. Here's here's some gospel though, but they do happen. They do happen. And sometimes in the comeback process, a genuine miracle is going to be called for. Now, y'all may be pretty familiar with the Lazarus story. You could probably tell me this story. Jesus shows up, sees that they're sad. Martha comes first and says, boy, this didn't turn out the way we wanted. Then Mary, Jesus goes to the grave. Jesus calls out to Lazarus. Lazarus comes walking out. They have a party. 
But before we get there, rather than do expository preaching that I normally do going verse by verse, I want to I want to emphasize instead today four major principles that may give us some perspective on comebacks, and in particular on the comeback that God is working on in our lives. All right, and the first thing I want to remind us of is is if this story teaches me anything, it's that God paints on a wide canvas, a much wider canvas than I can see. Because if you read verses 4 and 5, all right, let's just read John 11, 4 and 5. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Okay. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified. All right. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. All right, things are going really well at this point. We like the feel of this story so far. Go back through the things that we know. One, Jesus said, the sickness won't end in death. Good, we didn't want it to. Second, God's going to be glorified. Yes, God is, because it's not going to end in death. I like where this is going. Three, just in case you wondered... He loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus loves these people. If you've got those three things, one plus two plus three, I think what we're going to get at the next step is Jesus hurrying down to Bethany and healing Lazarus. Instead, look at how verse 6 begins. So, ho, 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 ho. I thought we were going to get yes, and instead we got so, you ever prayed to God wanting a yes and instead you got a so? So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Okay, the so is the curveball in the story. They hoped for a yes, they got a so. They hoped Jesus would come right away, but Jesus stays where he is a couple of days. Now, the only way to make sense of this is to remember... God is painting on a wider canvas. A bigger picture is at work. A bigger canvas than I can possibly imagine. Principle number two. Reality is bigger than our personal circumstances. That is not saying your personal circumstances don't matter. We're going to see that. But I want you for a moment, turn the story around for a second. Because the way we usually hear the story, the way the story is presented to us, is that we've got Mary and Martha, and Lazarus who is dying, and they send a message to Jesus, and Jesus receives it. Okay, now I want you to turn it around and see it from the perspective of Jesus, the one who receives the message. What is Jesus doing... When this message shows up. Now, okay, good. I'm glad no one answered really quickly. Because we're not told what Jesus is doing. But that doesn't mean we can't think about it. This is Jesus. The same Jesus who receives this message. Is the Jesus who is the Son of God. Who left heaven. Who left the Father's side to take on human flesh 
and come to earth. Jesus, who spoke creation into being, is now standing here, alive as a human, carrying out the work of God's kingdom made manifest in real time. He's not just hanging out in the desert thinking about cool stuff to say. When the message from the sisters reaches Jesus, he is out and about doing serious kingdom business that was planned before the foundation of the universe. He was steps away from giving his life for the world. That's the Jesus that is now receiving this message. When this message gets to Jesus, the specific needs of his individual friends come crashing against the widescreen reality of God's greater plan, larger plan for all of creation. Here's an amazing thing. Jesus doesn't dismiss their, their concerns or their reality. It is not that their concerns were unimportant to Jesus. But there is a bigger reality than their personal concerns. We have to grapple with two things within this perspective. The first one is, Jesus did not do what Mary and Martha wanted. Right? What do they want him to do? Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I can tell you what they want him to do. They want him to show up and heal their brother. Jesus doesn't do what Mary and Martha want. And maybe you've experienced that. You've put a prayer out there. And I don't mean like a pipe dream prayer. Like it'd be nice to be a billionaire. Okay, I'm not talking about a pipe dream prayer. I'm talking about there's a prayer about something that that hits you deep in your guts. This is a prayer about something that you care so much about that you you know God has to care about it too. And so you give everything you can in this prayer. You even lay out a plan. This, then this. God, just say yes to that. And instead of getting a yes, you get a so. Jesus didn't come to Lazarus that day. Jesus didn't heal him. Jesus didn't answer the sister's request the way that they wanted. But Jesus did do something astounding. So, the first thing we have to wrestle with is that Jesus didn't do what Mary and Martha wanted. The second thing we have to wrestle with is that, G- is that God does want us to live our lives for God's glory. I don't know how many of you picked up on the fact that there may be a little bit of a conflict there within our spirit. (laughs) Jesus didn't do what they wanted, but they are to live their lives to God's glory. Okay, how are they going to live their lives to God's glory? Look, living our lives to God's glory will happen one of two ways in this situation. One, we'll we'll live our lives to God's glory because God may fix our problem. Or we'll live our lives to God's glory because God did not fix our problem. I know that sounded trite. But hear me out. Both of those 
God fixing our problem, God not fixing our problem, are legitimate avenues to the glory of God. It is easy to see how God fixing things leads to God's glory. That one's easy. Okay, let me, God is able to heal people of disease supernaturally. I believe that, I've seen it. Okay, the resurrection power of God is still present in the world. And so death and sickness can be overcome in this world. I have watched God do it. Let me give you an example. This past Wednesday, we prayed for a sister of ours, Mary Tory. Okay, she's here every Wednesday. We prayed for her because she said she had a PET scan coming up the next day. I don't want to tell you too much of her story, but I will tell you this. She has a chronic form of cancer that is all along her spine and has started metastasizing to her hip. She had a PET scan on Monday, or on Thursday. So she asked our Wednesday night group to pray for her. We gathered around her, we laid hands, and we prayed for her that those scans would go well. I asked, what's your prayer request? She said, I don't want the tumors to have grown. Okay. We prayed for that request. We prayed for God to do more than that. She went and got her scans. She texted me Friday and said, Adam, here's the result of the scans. The tumors along my spine have not grown. Amen. Even more, the tumor on my hip has disappeared. The doctor says, we can't even tell there was one there. We don't know what happened. She says, I know. I know what happened. I believe, I know that God can heal, and I praise God. I give God glory when God heals. It's easy for me to see when God fixes things that I want to say, glory to God. All right? Why does God heal? Well, because God loves us. Sure. Because God has a plan for us. Sure. Because God can do whatever God wants to. Sure. Whether or not I understand, right? And not so that I get some kind of survivor's guilt. Why did God answer my prayer but not someone else's? Okay? But here's the bottom line. Why does God heal so that God receives glory? Because God loves us, because God can do what God wants, because God is able, and so that God receives glory. But Jesus doesn't heal everybody. Read the book. Jesus doesn't heal everybody. Why not? Okay, the best answer we can come up with is because apparently it's not his plan or his purpose to heal everybody. You see, some people don't get a miracle, and it isn't because God doesn't love them. And it isn't, oh, it certainly isn't because they don't love God enough. If you want to see me lose my religion, let me talk to someone who says for just a moment that someone didn't get a healing or didn't get a miracle because they didn't believe enough. 
I, mm, okay, here's what blows my mind. That there are people in this world who, Christians, call themselves Christians, who actually believe that God would send God's Son to the world to die for each and every one of us, giving His life for us so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. But you think somehow that God is in heaven going, oh man, I really wanted to hear your can- heal your cancer, but you didn't pray the prayer right. That's who you think God is? That can't be God. Yet God has not promised blanket miracles or healings for all of God's people. Now that doesn't mean we shouldn't ask God for miracles. We can't see the rest of the canvas. We don't know all that God is doing or how it might work together. I mean, here's the deal. We're going to continue to pray for Mary Tory. Why? Because there are still tumors on her back. We're not, we're not done praying for her just because the hip is fine. She still has cancer. Some of it has been healed. Some of it has not. Can both of those things happen to God's glory? You see, the, here, here's, the, here's what I'm getting at. Here's the point. Whether we're healed or not, whether the miracle occur, occurs or not, whether we get a yes or a so, our lives count for something eternal because we live them to God's glory. That every diagnosis of death can play a part in God's story. And that even unanswered prayers can glorify God. Just watch. Principle three is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Okay? The ultimate comeback, if I'm telling comeback stories, the ultimate comeback is to be able to look death in the face and declare Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Okay, look at what happens in John 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is the resurrection and the life in the present. Knowing Jesus is knowing resurrection. Even if we die. Knowing Jesus is always about life, abundant life, eternal life, and in the case of Lazarus, restored physical life. But in other words, Jesus is saying to Martha as she's talking to him, if you believe in me, then you've come back. Whether you're breathing or not is irrelevant. Preach, preacher. All right. If you believe in me, if you know me, you've already come back. Because I'm the resurrection and the life. Whether you're breathing or not is irrelevant. We spend so much time and effort and money. We work hard trying to cheat death. And Jesus is telling us that in him, we beat death. And so the question is, will you trust him? Now here in a moment, you'll have a chance to respond. 
and say, I trust him, that I want that comeback. I want to take hold of it. While I'm still breathing, I want to take hold of it. Because, because here's the deal. Know this. Jesus has come to you as the resurrection and the life. You will have a chance to respond and come to him. The fourth principle that I want to tell you about is that Jesus shows up in our journey. Eventually, Jesus did return to Bethany. He went back to where Lazarus was already entombed. And when he shows up, Mary and Martha are shattered. And he sees what's going on. He sees them crying and he weeps with them. They weep together. Knowing that he was about to call Lazarus from the grave, Jesus still weeps. Did you catch that? Jesus knows he's about to call Lazarus from the grave. And yet still weeps. Jesus is not above the brokenness of this world. Death is hard on us who are still living. Amen? We don't see the other side. We know about it. We believe in it. We put faith in it. But we miss that person right now that we loved so much. Death is hard on us. Even if we know there's eternal life, death is hard. It's almost like saying even if Jesus knew that he would be raised, dying would be hard. Even if you know that you'll be raised, dying to yourself is really hard. So he raises Lazarus. And Lazarus spends the rest of his life as a living testimony. Boy, if those words ever had real meaning. <laughs> I, I'm just, that first meal with him must have been pretty awesome because they throw a party. Everyone's like, so Lazarus, tell us all about it. What'd you see? What have you been up to? You know, yeah, like they, they want to know. They want to see what happened on the trip. Let me tell you what must have been wild. The next time Lazarus died. Because, <laughs> you know, Jesus resurrects him, but he doesn't live forever. Like, so he dies again. And do you think they just sit there looking at him like, is it going to stick? <laughs> How long do you think we wait before we bury him? Because last time it was like four days. Like, do we give him a week? And then maybe it's, I, I don't know, this guy is like the Energizer Bunny. What's that? We don't know yet. <laughs> Kenny, go ahead and bring your team up. I was thinking about this. What do you think Lazarus talks about in heaven? What do, what do you, I mean, on the one hand, he's, he might say, it was wild. I was gone, and then I was back. I think he always talks about, I got two chances to die. It was, it was not fun both times. Or do you think he's praising God? Look at what it says in John chapter 11, verse 45. 
Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Do you think Lazarus tells the story of all the people who have come to know Jesus because of what happened to him? And what happened to him was that God didn't answer the prayer that was prayed. What happened to him is that it didn't turn out the way that they wanted it to. What happened to him is that he died. Can you imagine things not working out and it still being to God's glory? That, that Lazarus can pray, thank you God for weaving me and my sisters into that story that was so big we couldn't even imagine it. That one of the things that we will get to celebrate when we get to heaven is that the grand tapestry will be unveiled. That we'll get to see how God has used you and me and all of our circumstances to bring many others into relationship with God. Heaven is going to be full of songs of worshipers who were once broken people in a broken world, but who were picked up and used for God's glory. Amen. Will you join them today? I told you there'd be a chance to respond. This is that moment. Will you join them today? Will you join in the the comeback from beyond, the ultimate comeback that death will not have the final word, but that life wins? Will you take hold of the one who has given us life and life eternal? Jesus has come to you. Will you come to Jesus and be baptized into him? Let's stand. And if you want to respond today, I want to give you that opportunity that you can come forward. We can baptize you into Christ today. Let's sing together to our God. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, check out www.rochestercoc.org. There you can find links to other teachings, opportunities to join our family and serve, as well as ways to support our work. It truly is a wonderful time to be the church. I pray that you're blessed. Remember, you are loved and you are chosen.